Dave Conley returns. I am excited for this episode. Dave is a speaker, an author, a transformational coach, and he was on episode 13 discussing radical self-care. Now he's back to discuss transforming midlife. So if you enjoyed Chip Conley, and by the way, no relation between Dave and Chip, if you enjoyed Chip on episode 75 discussing being a modern elder, and as it's the fourth most downloaded episode of Imperfect Action, chances are you did enjoy that episode. This conversation with Dave continues right on in that vein of rethinking midlife. So Dave shares four practices for living an amazing second half. These are four things that all of us should be doing. They're easy to do. They just take some thought and some intention on how to do it. He shares what they are. He shares the importance of getting started before it's too late, and there is a too late. He talks about the one true regret of life and how to avoid it. And we cover redefining midlife. How is it different now? What, what should we be thinking about today? And along those lines, the importance of being a citizen scientist. So can't wait to introduce this show to you. Can't wait to get started. This is a longer episode. It's almost double in length. Normally episodes are about 30 minutes. This pushes an hour. And I am really excited for all the information that we cover. Let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. Really excited to have a returning guest today. We've got Dave Conley on. And Dave, could you just introduce yourself a little bit? Thank you, Brock. My name is Dave Conley. I am a speaker and an author, and I do some occasional transformational coaching. Transformational coaching. And that's, that's, what, that's what floats my boat and drives my world. All right. So occasional transformational. Not only is that difficult to say, but I've never heard that put together. It makes it sound like, you know, it, it, it's just a hobby or something. <laughs> Right, right. Just every now and then. Yeah, uh, you know, when the mood strikes. <laughs> well, my main world is about uh, speaking and writing, uh, really uh, really putting out a message, having it resonate with people, having, uh, having it uh, go to, to audiences. And, and that in itself is a transformation for sure. It's a transformation for the people that I talk with and uh, the people that read my work. And I love working one-on-one, -on -one. you know, that, that one-on-one -on -one work where you, you experience that, that individual moment where somebody just goes from wherever they were to where they want to be. And that moment is electric for me. And it's, it's, it is, um, it's absolutely the, the deep down feeling of, of grace to uh, bear witness to somebody's change. And that is something that just strikes me way deep down inside. And so I say I do it occasionally, but it's, it's also like a very special, uh, special place for my, 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 uh, my, my whole world. Well, nice. And for those who heard the previous episode or are familiar with your work, they know that, I mean, this kind of started with you transforming your life a decade ago, a little over a decade ago. Yeah, uh, it, it really started uh, started right around 2011, where I was uh, I I just I just turned 40 uh, and started to make a, a real concerted effort. Well, actually, being thrown into needing to make some changes and just like sort of slopping around into it, and then starting to make those changes, learning how to make changes in my life, getting comfortable with it, and then now helping other people make changes. 
So with, with that background, and of course, we were talking before we, we started recording here, and I finally just hit record because uh, the conversation was getting too good. And, and so I want to make sure I captured that. I love you, Brock. <laughs> uh, because, you know, what, what started, in, and you're a person who I've wanted to get back on the show for a while now, and it just, but a reason struck me, and you had put a post out on Instagram that said, mm-hmm. it was a quote from Vic Johnson that said, you know, it's never too late and you're never too old. And you had made the comment something to the effect of, I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I know that that's not true. I know for sure that's not true. <laughs> so, so tell me a bit about that. Because, I mean, that is not an inconsistent message. I think we've all heard that at some point, you know, that you, you can always get started. So get started. So t- tell me your take on that. Yeah. Uh, I think I think when I started sort of like this this era at, at, at you know, just when I turned 40 at this midlife junction, when I was started to make these changes, I had a... a a, I had two things that really came and presented them to myself, maybe three, we'll, we'll call it three, but they were all along the exact same lines. The first uh, was, uh, is this beautiful piece by Bronnie Ware. And it, for your, your listeners that may not know who Bronnie Ware is, she was a, um, a hospice nurse, a, a palliative care and hospice nurse. And so she helped people transition to the next part of their existence uh, uh, for years. And she kept on hearing the same things over and over and over again from uh, from people were that were were putting the putting the date on the other side of the dash. And uh, the and there were things that you can you can we can all imagine right like things like um, I I uh, wish I'd expressed expressed my feelings more or I wish I had chosen to be happier I wish I hadn't been uh, you know uh, living up to the expectations of others. Um, I wish the the one that struck me so so um, so profoundly, I think, was one where um, they she said that I uh, that people said that they had wished they hadn't worked so hard, and that was the moment where I really imagined myself on my deathbed um, on on at, at that moment, and I think I envision it as being surrounded by uh, those that I love. And, and those that love me. And also knowing that I didn't make the world safe as a technology executive, right? Like I, I, that I, that I, that I, I, I'm not going to lay on that bed and say, oh my God, I wish I'd spent more time at, you know, and, and insert vocation, insert your job there, but that I'd just been loved and, and that, uh, that those loved me. And that was it, right? So that was like, am I doing anything right now that I am regretting? And through the lens of that moment, my life started to get a whole lot easier, right? It's like, how's this relationship I'm in? You know, I'm actually in a pretty good relationship, but is it the relationship that I want to be in at the end of my life? Uh, my, my wife at the time and I were actually really good friends um, and, and we had love for each other, but I knew that it wasn't the relationship that I wanted for the rest of my life, that I would regret that moment. Um, I also knew that I wasn't in a health and wellness space that I wanted to be in. I wanted to be much healthier. I wanted to live longer. As uh, the the clients that I work with in the health and wellness arena, they often say, hey, I really want to be around for my grandchildren, maybe even see my great-grandchildren. And that resonated with me too. It's like, I want to be around and enjoy this life, right? Um, and those two things came together with um, something that I saw from, of all people, Jeff Bezos. 
And so I, I have a feeling like there's going to be some, some, some Google searches going out right after this conversation, <laughs> but it's Jeff Bezos and he talks about regret. And this was the thing that did it all. He said, regrets are just delayed decisions. I'm like, huh? So let that sit in, sit in there for just a moment. A regret is just a delayed decision. So if a regret is a delayed decision, that means you can do something about it, right? You can do something about the decisions that you've made right now and you can change it. What do you want? What do you want that you have control over? And what do you want to do with it today? And that was at that moment that I was like, well, I don't want to be married anymore. So I started the process of getting divorced and it was pretty like straightforward at that point. It's like, I don't want this because I don't want this. I, I don't want the career that I'm in right now. So I'm going to re-career and I completely re-careered from technology management and, and being a senior executive to health and wellness coaching and now being a speaker and an author. And uh, the, the, the final puzzle piece that drops in for me and where that conversation, that note, that Instagram note that said, I don't believe this phrase that <laughs> is this, there is only one regret. And this is from Bonnie. And this is from Jeff. The only regret that you can actually have in your life is one that you can't do anything about. And that is at the end of your life when you do not have the time left in order to make the changes that you want in your life. That's the only one. Everything else, game on. If you have any control over it, you can make the changes today. So much in there, Dave. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, feel free to cut me off. I, can... <laughs> I realize it's your show. <laughs> no, no. That, 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 <laughs> it was like about 10 minutes into that. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> No, that, that's sorry. That's, I'll keep going. <laughs> that's awesome because you know we were talking a, a little bit, and you haven't used the words here, but we were talking about it before I hit record, just around midlife mm -hmm. and what that means, and how that's defined, and what it looks like, and how it's changing, how how that is evolving. Because uh, at least from from my perspective, we we've got a couple things going on. One is we have longer life expectancies, so where midlife sits in life is maybe not in the same place that it used to sit. And yeah. the amount of vibrancy and health and uh, physicality th that we have is much different than it perhaps was in past years as well. Yeah. So you, you've got that piece, like we've got more runway, <laughs> we've got more time to do stuff. We've got more energy, perhaps more resources to do it when we're hitting you know, the ages that I used to think of as old before I got to those ages, but, um, right. It was like everybody, when you were like a, like a, like a, a young kid, it was like, everybody seems so old. And now you realize they were probably 30, you know? <laughs> exactly. But you know, as I look around, just, you know, trying to peg, okay, you know, what age were my grandparents like doing this? And mm -hmm. when I see people of those ages today, uh, many of them are doing very different things, much yeah. more active things. Um, you know, my, my mom is uh, early 70s and, I, mm -hmm. you know, she, she's about to get a motorcycle to complement the scooter <laughs> that she has. And, you know, I can't keep up with her. She, she is really? completely amazing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she visits and she wants to go indoor skydiving. So, mm -hmm. you know, that, that just redefines everything. So, one, we've got so much more ability and so much more time. Yeah. And then there's this flip side that, that I'm seeing. And, and one is, I think, kind of what you're getting into that we, 
don't really know how to define it or what to do with it. But yeah. I also look around and I see people trapped by youth's decisions. Hmm. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we choose our career when we're, you know, early 20s. Yes. And that may not be the same career that we would choose in our early 40s or early 50s, or early mm -hmm. 60s. Mm -hmm. And yet, at that point, we're probably established, we're probably making enough that changing a career would be difficult financially. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we probably have mortgage, kids in college, whatever, things that we did not have right. when we're young, when you can turn on a dime with your life. Mm -hmm. And so, and this is a long, long lead up to a question mm -hmm. here, here, Dave. But, you uh, but know. I'm, 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 I'm vigorously nodding. We can't see each other, but yes. I'm vigorously <laughs> nodding, so I'm with you. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we, we both have more time to do things and more energy and perhaps more resources. And yet the other side of it is not knowing what to do in many ways trapped by the past where the past brought us yeah. and maybe with not having a, the passionate and purpose that we had in our twenties or in our thirties mm. mm. uh, and not knowing where to go with that. And, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but I'm just trying to, you know, pull several trends I'm seeing together. Yes. And, and so I just dumped a lot on you and realized I don't really have a question about it, but I would Perfect. love kind of your take on all that. <laughs> where would you like to start? Like what is midlife? What are the, what is the crisis? What's going on? What, there's so many different directions. Okay, we can talk yeah. about health. We can talk about how to access you know, what the thing that things are that will change your life or how the thinking needs to change. I mean, like we can go a million different directions. Where would you like to go, my friend? Awesome. So yeah, what is midlife and why do we call it a crisis? Got it. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. All right. So what is midlife? I, I, you know, I'm often asked, okay, am I in midlife? Well, so like, here's the first one. If you define yourself as midlife, you are in midlife, right? Like, you know, and so whatever that age is for you, it's midlife, right? Um, Midlife seems to have a few things that come together. Uh, a number of them are um, external. Kids move out, parents move in, uh, your, um, your career tops out. You may be sort of looking at your, your significant other as, is this the relationship that I really want, right? Or this is the relationship I want. Like there's some sort of like re-upping of the, of the relationship in some way. Um, all... Uh, all of these things externally are happening to you. And then internally, we have this, um, uh, we have a, a I, don't, I don't know about you, but if anybody said to me, when you turn 40, things in your body might go really weird, right? Like I would have paid attention and I would have been like, really? I'm like, yeah. Like, you know, like there's are aches and pains and places that I didn't even know existed. I, I have sneezed and thrown out my back. And, uh, you know, like there's just like strange stuff happens. And often, you know, my friends talk about the moment that they felt old was the moment that they needed reading glasses. And I'm like, mm. oh yeah, you know, I'm with you on that. Things just don't work the same way, right? You can't, you know, just shortchange your sleep, pop up after a couple of glasses of wine, you know, the next morning and just expect to, you know, hard charge the door. Day, things are just different. And then uh, mentally or even spiritually, there is a, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a switch that goes, oh crap, I'm going to die. You know, like, like for real, like I, like there's this moment where like your mortality is real. 
Uh, and, and for the first time in your life, you're like, okay, there are, there may be, you know, fewer days ahead than behind. So let's like, what is this life? The psychologists talk about midlife being the moment in our lives where we strive for meaning to say that we made a difference and we were, we are here. And Also, psychologists say that uh, midlife is also considered the lowest point in our life. Uh, It's considered the time where we feel it's the gloomiest, where it's uh, the where we we dislike this moment in life. And I don't know about you, but like I was a teenager, and I can't believe that that. Actually, your midlife is the point of the midlife. It is is that actually the lowest point in your life? Like uh, it is. I mean, like across the board, and not just in in, in developed countries. All over the world, uh, people describe midlife often right around forty five as the lowest point, only to hockey stick up for the rest of your life. So these factors all come together to say I'm in midlife. So Dave, and, I, I actually yeah. I jump in here just to ask. So I agree, you know, I'm not sure you could pay me enough to go be 17 again. Mm-hmm. Um, I have enough memory of that, you know, and, and mm-hmm. not that I had a bad teenage years. That's mm-hmm. just a really, really rough time. Crazy, right? <laughs> um, it, at least, you know, when we start hitting 40, I've got some resources behind me. You know, I've got a decent paycheck. I have yep. steady relationship, you know, things for, mm-hmm. for me anyway, we're, we're going pr- pretty good. But so what is this that makes us think that that really is kind of the low point for us. What, what, what is low about it? Mm. It's, it's all of those factors that happen to us, right? Um, and it's that internal and external, that push and that pull. Uh, the the career perhaps topping out, or maybe it's not where you want it to be. The difference between where we thought we would be at this point in our lives and where we actually are. That delta, that difference is mm. often the point where we're like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? Like, where am I going? I feel rudderless or how, what do I need to do? How do I make a mark? Where am I? And so that spills out often in what our friends look at as crisis, right? Um, you know, or like somebody reflects as crisis. And I, I, if somebody at midlife doesn't know someone who's had a midlife crisis or hasn't had their own personal uh, crisis, either existential or, or, or it's splashing out, then I call shenanigans. Like what, 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 what cave are you in? Right. Um, because we have jokes about it. We have jokes about things that are, have like the, have a, that resonate in reality. It's the, the fast cars and the divorces and the nose jobs and thinking that a tattoo is a really good idea, right? You know, like <laughs> this is the midlife crisis and it's that, that um, explosive energy of change that is undirected. So, yeah, I mean, the way you describe it, it almost sounds like, you know, being a, t- a teenager, making teenager decisions, but with the resources of an adult behind <laughs> you. Uh, you also you know, think about being a teenager. Hey, also being thinking about a teenager is that there seems to be just sort of like one direction, right? Like people, right. you know, it's like you, you either, you know, start a career, you move out of the house, you might go to school. I mean, like there's paths, right? There isn't just sort of like an end state of teenage man. It's like, okay, I'm done now. Like I've been around for 17 years and like, I'm, I've, I've got this, even though we may think it. Whereas 
being in midlife, it's like, oh my God, there's a million different directions. One of my favorite quotes actually, and I'm going to, I am going to paraphrase it and probably butcher it a little bit is, um, is from Alice in Wonderland. Um, and it's when Alice like first meets the Cheshire cat and the Cheshire cat goes, Hey, Hey, Alice, you know, where, where are you, where are you going? Right. And Alice goes, I, I, Hey, I have no idea. Right. And, and the Cheshire cat says, well, if, if you don't know where you're going, every path's away. Right. Um, and that is such a metaphor for this point in life of like, okay, there you are at a fork or you're on a highway of life right now at midlife and there are exit ramps and some of them go to really dark ugly places and this road of midlife there are changes that you must do must with a capital m in order to live the very best 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. You said it at the beginning of this. We seem to be living as a group much later in life. And the question is, is what kind of life are you going to live? I know my father always, uh, before he passed, um, always worried about like being um, a burden, you know, like falling or hurting himself and you're know, like not having this full life. And fortunately, he, he had a lights out moment at the end of his life, like perfectly done, like, yay, dad, thank you. Uh, you know, I, like he, he mic dropped, you know, um, passing from life. And I'm like, oh my God, what, a, what an inspiration <laughs> for, for, for how I want my life to end. And um, that's the... Um, that's the, this is the, the exit and the, we have the exits right now and we can either like keep doing what you're doing right now and hope for the best, or you can make changes today that you must do in order to live that really amazing kick-ass second half. All right. So what are some of those changes? Mm. So there are, um, there's going to be practices that you, that I'm, for, for many people, they're, they're not going to be any news, uh, meaning that there are, there are self-practices of bringing it, uh, focusing on yourself, often for the first time in your life, uh, that um, for many won't be a surprise. And let me tell you what these practices are all about. My uh, clients, the people that I work with, and often a lot of people at midlife, they spend a lot of time in their jobs and their careers. You know, like nobody's like saying, hey, you know, don't go work, right? Like we've been been told to work for, you know, most of our life. And so we get a lot of validation there. And if we're lucky enough to have a job that we're very successful at, then we get a lot of validation. It's like, it feels good, right? To go to work and like make a difference. And, and even if it, you're not making a huge difference in your mind, you're getting paid for it. I mean, like fantastic, right? So you spend a lot of time there. And you may feel guilty about not spending a whole lot of time with your family. Um, or in the case of some of my friends, they're like, look, I, I actually spent so much time in my job that now that they're, they're getting more independent or they're moving out, I'm wondering who they are. And I'm hoping that they come back. <laughs> um, and you often spend no time on yourself. And that yourself is this mind, body, heart, and spirit that is this revolutionary crucible of change uh, that is the time to really be focusing on yourself so that you can give so much more to your family and to your career and ultimately your community and coming back to what the psychologists are saying, your legacy. Like, who are you? That is the, that is the, the big circle that, that sweeps all this together. 
So, right, so I just need yeah. to change all that I'm doing and build the legacy. Um, <laughs> no, you're doing it today. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, you're doing it now. <laughs> yeah. So, so when we talk about those changes, you know, yep. you're mentioning you, you can't get to the end of the life. You're talking about even how we die or quality of life at, at the, and the end practices. of it. Yeah. And the, yeah, the practices that we do today that will determine where we end up 20, yep. 30, 40, 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. Are, are there key practices? Is it yes. the, the stuff that we already know that we just need to actually start doing? Or is there, are there different things that once we hit midlife that we probably need to think about differently? There are generally very, there, there are four that keeps on, that keep on coming up over and over again. They come up for me and they, they come up for the people that I work with. And, and, and we often just, we, we nod at it and sometimes play, pay lip service to it. But I know that these four are the ones that, 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 that work because the, the conversation around self-care and, and uh, really paying attention to oneself isn't new. I mean, the Egyptians and the Sumerians have been knocking it into clay tablets and carving it onto walls for thousands of years. And it's, it's going to be true for the next 2,000 as just like it was for the previous 2,000. So these aren't, these aren't new news in that sense, but how we approach them is new. And how we approach them at midlife is new. And so... One of them is quite straightforward, sleep. Sleep often changes at midlife. My sleep got really wonky, really weird. I know my, my, my friends that have, have kids said, oh yeah, my, my, my sleep went, to, went, went completely haywire when I had kids and it's been very strange since. <laughs> so really making sleep such a priority in one's life. We can't catch up on it. It's not something that you can phone in and it's only something that you can do. You can't delegate this. Like sleep is like the... The, the shampoo for the brain, nothing works if you don't have adequate rest. Nothing. I mean, you don't make good decisions. Your hormone balance uh, completely goes out of whack. Your ability to uh, recover from any kind of injury or even to, to... Everyone that I have worked with that needs to lose a significant amount of weight has had funky sleep. You cannot be of a fit body without good sleep. So this is the, the mother practice of like, get your sleep straight. All right. So right there with sleep, I mean, cause you mentioned that your sleep went haywire. Yep. Uh, I, I, I will, I will echo that to my, mm-hmm. myself, you know, I, so it, I, I never found myself at 2am going, man, I really hope I can't fall back to sleep, you know, cause yeah. this is the best time of day for me to be awake. Yep. Great. We want to get more sleep. I mean, even just, but that's not always possible just because of, like you say, you know, things are going funky, (laughs) whether it's stress in our life or just age in our life or whatever it is. So what are some simple things that we can do to start reshaping sleep for us? Um, and this is, I promise you, this is like, a, this is really best for, for often, you know, like you'll, you'll find some of the, the best things. Actually, I, there's a National Sleep Foundation. They have, a, they have a, some, some amazing tips, but these are, the, these are the things that are absolutely true when it comes down to sleep. If you have any of these off, then, then you're just not going to get it. One, cool. Your room has to be cool. Um, right around 68 tends to be not too cold and not too warm for sure, but right around 68 ish and 65 to, to 68, somewhere right around there. Dark. And I mean, dark. It turns out that like our body, even with our eyes closed, our body can, um, recognize 
light. I walk around because I, I, I do a lot of travel for speaking and for, for talking about my book. And um, I bring clothes pins to make sure that, that uh, uh, the curtains stay closed. And I even have a, a, a tape with me because, uh, you know, all of the, the blinking and the flashing uh, lights that are in, in a room, everything from, you know, the TV sets and the, and the, and the, uh, or the clocks, all sorts of things. So I'll, I'll cover all of that up. Dark is a thing. We, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to guess that we spent, you know, the bulk of a million years probably being, you know, um, in sheltered uh, caves. And so having, having a bright light won't do it. And the last is quiet, cold, dark, and quiet. These things, three things go a long, long ways. Now, a lot of things fall out into this. It might be, um, things like, oh, I sleep with pets. And I'm like, okay, great. How's that serving you? How's it serving you or the animal, right? Or I sleep with a spouse. I'm like, that's great. And, you know, like, is that serving you or the things that you might be able to do that might be a little bit different? Because it might be the most loving thing in the world to actually um, have a little bit of separation in your sleep, right? Um, or I use my my uh, phone for my alarm clock. And I'm like, that is, that is, uh, that is the among the worst. I promise you, if at, on in the bottom drawer of your nightstand there is an alarm clock, go dig it out, go plug it in, and take your phone and put it in the hallway. That's that's <laughs> that's that's. So a lot of these things fall out of the cold, dark, and quiet. All right. So that so we we've got sleep. That's one. You said there were four. Yes. Um, exercise. Right. Again, not news. You got to move. Right. Uh, you know, the, we talk, uh, the, the experts, the experts talk about uh, sitting being the new smoking. Um, you know, we live such sedentary lifestyles. Uh, and even uh, now, as we're, we're doing this interview, I'm standing. Um, I have a, I have a, a, you know, I just, I have a, a table that I've put on top of a table and I have, uh, you know, uh, have my computer on it and I'm, and I'm just standing here. So I'll be standing here for the next, uh, you know, uh, the entire time during this interview. Um, and that means for a lot of, a lot of people, it's like, okay, do I got to get to the gym? Do I have to get to the gym? Do I have to need a trainer and all those things? It's like, well, if those things work for you, great. Uh, and if not, then how are you going to build in movement to your day in and day out for, uh, some people that I know live in cities, they, they, um, uh, like for myself, I got rid of my car. I, I do not own a car, uh, for people who can't, uh, you know, do that or live in a place where they must drive, you know, park really far away. Take, you know, like elevators are not your friend, you know, use stairs and like building in a little bit of movement every single day goes a really long ways. Now, so it, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to jump in there with uh, just the observation that when we think of exercise, like you mentioned, we, we think of going to the gym, getting a membership, getting a trainer, you know, yeah. I, I've got to bulk up, be a mm -hmm. bodybuilder or a mm -hmm. marathoner, you know, we, we, we've got to go do the extremes. But what you're talking about is, to me, this is a different definition of just building movement into your life. Yes, everywhere into your life, not just a little bit, right? But everywhere. Um, and I, you know, like I do enjoy going to the gym. Um, and, uh, and if that's right for you, then go do it. Um, and this goes with uh, not a practice, but an, uh, a higher level that is necessary at midlife. This higher level is changing how we think. Because it goes with the next practice. The next practice is 
uh, it go, it, it is eating, eating well. So um, at midlife, a lot of people are saying, hey, I've put on some weight. This is not unusual, right? Like sort of a midlife pudge, or I'm putting on a lot of weight, or I can't lose weight. Like things are just different, right? Your body's just different. Is this sound familiar? Well, absolutely. And you know, they talk about the on average, you put on, you know, I don't know, it's a pound or two a year. It's not much, which is no big deal until you, you know, multiply that by 20 or 30 years. Then yeah, suddenly <laughs> right. you're in a different weight class. Exactly. Now, the change in thinking is to be a citizen scientist. So what's a citizen scientist? It means building out the time to both learn and implement a different way of eating. Um, one, you have to choose your health goal. That's the first thing. What do you want differently? If you want to lose weight, that is definitely a health goal. My uh, goal this upcoming year, this year that we're in now, I don't, I don't have a, a, a resolution, but I am working on my heart, both metaphorically uh, in, in the, the world of love and also physically. Uh, with cardiovascular disease and really exploring that. And I am learning a lot. I'm spending a lot of time and energy in learning about cardiovascular disease and putting together the people in my life that I need to really fully explore this. Meaning I have um, doctors and specialists. I am uh, also have uh, uh, other medical practitioners, both Eastern and Western and integrative, uh, and also other citizen scientists, which are just weirdos like me that are experimenting in things. And this collection of people are my resources. But the change in thinking is this. Um, no one's going to be more invested in your health than you. Uh, not your doctor, not your, your uh, spouse, not your family, no one. It is only you. And often we just hear about the, the next next and we say, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do that diet, right? And I will be fine if I just go do that diet. And now as we're, we're running into, uh, you know, through the, the first quarter of the year, I'm going to guess that there's going to be a number of people that might be listening to this that are probably feeling a little bit of... Um, shame probably about not getting into the gym or not getting uh, or not sticking with their health goal I'm like okay yes that is exactly what happens right here as we're as we're getting through the first quarter of the year people are like ah you know it's not work it didn't work for me I'm like okay cool and i had a client who came to me and in um well i won't use her words because it had a bunch of expletives she just said i don't feel well and i don't know why I'm like, okay. So we, we actually, as a part of our world, we, we run blood work. We run blood work and genetic tests and hormone tests. And it came back and I said, hey, uh, you need to go see your doctor. She goes, what? Why? What's going on? I'm like, well, I am not a doctor. And, and my, while I have medical professionals on my team, I'm not a doctor and I'm not allowed to say. She goes, and she, was, she is a hard charging executive. She said, look, I, am in, I, I work out every day. I eat really well and I feel like hell. And you just told me to go to my doctor. And I said, yeah. And so she was not going to let me off the hook. And I finally just said, look, everything looks like you have cancer. And you didn't hear that from me because I'm not allowed to say, but go see your doctor. 
And she didn't have cancer. She went to her doctor, had a bunch of texts. She didn't have uh, cancer, but I talked to her doctor and worked with her. And I said, look, I want to make some changes, some very specific changes to how she's eating, how she's moving and how she's thinking. And see, and and I want to work with you in order to rerun the blood work and the and the uh, and the and the hormone tests and see what happens. I want to do it at thirty, sixty, and ninety days. And I was doing this citizen science work for my client, right? And the doctor said, she said, absolutely, love to, because you know, like her world is like, okay, you know, um, write up some medications and, and send her off her, her her day. My world was about working with her every single day. And so, the first thing I did was like okay, one, we're going to change your diet. She's like, ah, I already eat really great. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's talk about this because we, we saw it in, in, the, in the blood work and in the hormone work. There is a really popular documentary on Netflix right now called The Game Changers. And it advocates for a vegan lifestyle being the, the way to eat uh, for best performance and a long-lived life. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, the question in me as the curious citizen scientist is, is that true? And so I, I dug into it and it turns out that this is the case. What's true about a 65,000 person, um, multi-year, uh, multi-decade study that followed vegans, vegetarians, and pescatarians found this. They generally have better health outcomes and they also tend to die of stroke at a higher level than the general population. Now, the reason, the question is, why? And I'm like, well, it turns out that the population of vegans, vegetarians, and pescatarians are generally just healthy, healthier people. They tend to exercise. They tend to get sleep. They tend to be more female than, than male. They don't tend to smoke, uh, and they make healthier life decisions. And that's going to come up over and over again, healthier life decisions. So, uh, the, the, the point of this whole documentary was like, is veganism the way to go? And the answer is this, yes. And the answer is this, no. Because what works for you and me, even if we had the exact same health outcome that we wanted, say lose weight, may not work at all. Because of my microbiome, my genetics, how I move, my environment, all of the things that make up me, my mind, body, heart, and spirit, makes the way I process food different than you. And so is vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian going to work for her? Actually, it was. It was going to work for her. It turns out she did not process certain um, proteins quite well. So we moved her to a pescatarian diet. That was the first thing. Uh, the second thing we did was uh, we removed her from working out. She was like, oh my God, no, I can't. I didn't know. She fought me on this tooth and nail. And I'm like, no, no more working out. She's like, why? You're supposed to work out. I'm like, okay, you do high intensity interval training five days a week, six days a week, some days. And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, you are not letting your body actually rest and recover. So we knocked it all off. She was allowed to do some weightlifting and occasionally ride a bike. And after 30, 30 days, we saw most of her blood work uh, come in line. And after 60 days, we saw most of her, uh, her hormone uh, tests come in uh, fine. And after 90 days, we saw everything come in line. Here's what we know is absolutely true about um, eating and exercise. First, the eating. Is vegan, vegetarian, and pescatarian a way to go? Yeah. Is veganism the way to eat? No. 
uh, is it keto or low carb high, you know, uh, he, uh, low carb, high fat is paleo is, is Mediterranean or all these, are these the ways to eat? I'm like, yes and no. It one, it depends on your health outcome. That means being the citizen scientist, what do you want? Right. And learning about the things that you can do and making it a part of your life. If paleo is a way that you can live day in and day out, then go do that. If you're meeting your, your, your health outcome, fantastic. If you just want to eat, quote unquote, better, define what that is. We know for absolute certain that there are two things that will, that will leads to very, very poor health outcomes. One of them is a collection of what's called the standard American diet. And you can imagine what that is, the standard American diet. Now think of that acronym. S-A-D, sad, it is sad. The standard American diet is processed. It, uh, it's pastas and simple carbohydrates. It's cakes, it's sugars. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, heavy in the protein, light on the vegetable. Um, lots, of, um, lots, of, uh, um, uh, lots of eating out. This is the standard American diet and it is absolutely killing us. Uh, it is causing obesity and causing an epidemic of things like fatty liver disease and uh, obesity in children and uh, rises in, in type 2 diabetes. If you want to talk about the things that like screw up healthcare in the United States, one of them is the food that we eat. By, lar- by and large, probably mostly the food that we eat. Um, and the second thing is, is that sugar, sugar will absolutely kill you. Um, there is sugar is a toxin. Um, and for me, particularly as somebody who lost 150 pounds, I can look at sugar and put on weight. My body's extremely efficient at it. Uh, so, uh, and that's not going to be true for everyone, but I do know that we generally eat way too much sugar because it's in our foods. I cannot buy a, a rotisserie chicken at a grocery store without reading the ingredients and nine times out of 10, seeing it covered in sugar. I don't know about you, but covering my meat in sugar is just a terrifying idea. So like there's sugar in everything. So this is what we know. Move and make sure that it's a movement that works in your life and eat better. Maybe it's Mediterranean, maybe it's keto, paleo, whatever. There's a, that is, all of those may work as long as it's a way of life that you can choose to do and that you are measuring the outcome that you want. Maybe it's losing weight. Maybe it's my case, like cardiovascular disease, really getting in there and saying, what is it that you want to change? Are you making the changes? Is it happening? And then if you're not making changes to whatever it is you're doing every 30, 60, or 90 days, you may only make four changes in a year, but make sure you are making the changes. You know, we talk about sugar there. It it is interesting because you mentioned it, it, it's in everything. And there was a time when I forget why I chose this amount. It may have been random or it may have been from an article I read, but basically I just stopped eating anything that had more than 14 grams of sugar per serving. Okay. And it is amazing the number of foods that we think of as being healthy health food Mm -hmm. uh, that don't fit those parameters. For sure. that it's not, I mean, we're not talking about bear claws and we're not talking about, yes, there's a couple grams of sugar in your spaghetti sauce. We're talking yeah. tra- things that we would normally think of as that's totally healthy. Eat all of it that you want. Yep. Um, you know, 14 grams is a pretty low bar and yet mm-hmm. still couldn't meet that. So uh, yeah, it, it, I, I know from experience, it takes effort to eliminate the sugar because you're getting sugar. You're, you don't even know you're getting. Yeah, exactly. 
it's in everything. It is so hidden and so pervasive. It's crazy. And it's like the people I talked to is like, okay, yeah, no more fruit for you. And they're like, what? Fruit's good for you. I'm like, really? Really? Let's talk about that. <laughs> I'm going to go with, with shenanigans. Um, they're, yeah, and you can make better choices in fruit, but, um, but the sugar in fruit is really as rough on your system as just about anything else. Um, you know, like your body doesn't know it's much different than say corn syrup. Your body will treat it a little bit differently, but I don't know when I was a kid, um, the, it, we used to get, uh, over the holidays, over Christmas, we get, uh, oranges from Florida and, and we give them out. Like they were really quite coveted, right? Like they were a special thing. We'd get, we'd get boxes of these things. We hand them out to friends and family and people got really excited. Now you can get like any fruit on the planet sort of delivered to you within 30 minutes. And that's a little crazy. And because of, um, either genetic modification or just selective breeding, uh, the amount of sugar that has gone up in our fruits has gone through the roof. I mean, I, I remember like getting, a, getting an apple off of my, my grandmother's tree in the back of her yard and having it actually be kind of, well, kind of mushy and kind of like tart, right? Um, that was true for the vast majority of, of our fruits. They weren't so damn sweet. Now it's like, Every banana, every apple, every orange is really quite sickeningly sweet because that's what we crave. So I'm going to go right now and I'm just going to, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be that controversial to say, hey, knock it off. You know, like the, the, the amount of fruit and the amount of uh, fruit in things is really crazy sweet. All right. So sleep, exercise, eating, and I mean, we covered a lot of ground with the eating right there. Yeah. Uh, what was the fourth one? So I'll, I'll call it noticing because it's a, it's a fun little acronym that I have. Sleep, exercise, eating, and noticing. It's to be seen, S-E-E-N. Noticing is in this world of, of mindfulness and meditation and really just being in the moment. Um, this is the time that we just calm our minds and focus. Our worlds are built on distraction. If... I'm going to guess that you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't have a smartphone these days. Even really young kids are getting them. Um, here's the thing. I live in the Bay Area and this is the um, epicenter of the people who create this technology. Uh, Apple is within a few miles of where I live. Um, uh, many of the, the, Software manufacturers, the app manufacturers are, are, I can see them from where I, <laughs> from where I live. I'm walking by them every day. You know, Twitter is here. Facebook is here. All of these companies are here. And the parents that are at these places do not give their kids smartphones. They don't. In fact, there's entire schools that are technology free. Hmm. It's because there are thousands Thousands of sociologists, behaviorists, psychologists, and engineers working 24 hours a day to grab your attention, to grab it and keep it. Because there is a one-for-one -one correlation between your attention, the amount of time that you spend on your devices and in these uh, apps, the amount that they can charge for an advertisement, and their stock price. 
the more they have your attention, the richer they get. And therefore, they have created just it, the, the nuclear weapon of attention stealing. And so mindfulness and meditation is something that, that brings your attention back into focus because this is something that, isn't, that does not belong to Facebook. It isn't theirs. It is yours. And when you have like teams of, of people working to grab it from you, in a lot of ways, we're sort of dumb monkeys, you know, like the, the blinking and the flashing and, and like it's the, it's, the, it's the casino moment, right? Like, or it's the going to, a, uh, going to an amusement park. Like those places are built to attract our attention. It's the same thing with the blinking and the flashing and the red dots and the, and the buzzing and all that stuff. That's, that's just like the, the, the Pavlov's dog of like, it's training us to, uh, to, to be uh, drawn into these things. So mindfulness and meditation, you can't get enough of it. Now, I know that I've, I've talked to more people. It's like, man, I've tried it. I've tried this. People have been telling me to do this for a long time. It's like, okay, well, you know, like I'm not going to be the one that convinces you um, uh, that, that, uh, that uh, how to do this because you know, like I, my clients and the people that I, I'm, I'm, that are my life, they've done a number of things. Like Sam Harris has a great podcast. Tara Brock has a great podcast. They have both have great apps or Sam Harris does. There's, I mean, if you just, uh, you know, it, I, and I recognize the irony of suggesting you use your phone to do mindfulness, but it is sort of like, you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of the flip side of like, let's use this as a weapon against these people. Um, apps can be great. For me, um, I went to, I went to a, a business meditation conference. And, and before you think I'm all California woo-woo, it was actually on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., and it was taught by Google, of all people. So this, this business meditation course, um, they had one uh, meditation that I really wanted to get into because not all meditations are just like, you know, what people might imagine of like sitting on a, sitting on a cushion and having your, your, you know, you know, and closing your eyes and focusing on your breath. Although that, that is a, that is a meditation. One of them is called the loving kindness meditation. And then what this is, is one where you, you wish people well, right? Like in your head, like you just walk around and you're like, I wish you well, I wish you well, I wish you well. You're just in your head. You're not saying it out loud. You could, but you'd be like sort of a crazy person, right? <laughs> and so you wish people well. And what that does is it just keeps you in the moment right? Like you can't think about the past or the future or the crazy, you know, um, uh, inner voice that might be like, like tearing you down or, or definitely not building you up. Um, if you're wishing people well in your head. And so like, I tried it, you know, like I, I came back from work and I was going to the Metro in DC and I was wishing a lot of people well, like I, and, and, uh, I got to the end of that day and I was like, mm, yeah, I don't know if this is going to do it for me, but you know, that phrase, you know, like you got to sleep on it. Well, I did that. And the next morning I had this real epiphany and I was like, ah, I can wish anything. I don't have to wish people. Well, I can wish them anything. And I want something in my life. I'm going to wish it on other people. And so that day, thousands of men and women, as I was, as I was walking to, uh, walking to my work, I was wishing them a great sex life. <laughs> that did it because it had this emotional juice behind it. You know, like it made, it was sort of whimsical. It was funny, right? And, and also like a little bit serious of like, I, I do wish a great sex life on the men and women of Washington, DC. And that put a little bit of a smile on my face and I just saw it ripple through the crowd. 
So I get to, you know, and I don't just wish people a great sex life. I also wish you no lines in the grocery store and no traffic and really long battery life and great Wi-Fi. You know, these because these are things that I love, right? So um, it's not just an app. You can also just do this as a practice as it fits into your life. Be the citizen scientist. Question this conventional wisdom of like, is this the only way to do something? And seeing how things work in your life for you. That's the really the up-leveling of the thinking. Because as you get into this world of really paying attention to yourself, you're going to figure out what works, what doesn't. The, the real challenge here, the, 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 the ultimate practice is the practice itself of going and doing it and trying it and making it at the center of your universe, staying out of the, the, of identifying you as your career, as who I am, or my family as who I am, but deep down, who are you as a person? Not I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm a worker, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner, not that. That's all external. But who are you on the inside? And the way to get there is through these practices, the sleep, the exercise, the eating, and the noticing. And what does midlife look like? What does it feel like when I do all that? Oh, my God. Oh. God, what a great question. I know that... um, The parts of my life at midlife, I had to completely rebuild. And it was, it was, and, and because, you know, my, my relationships were off, I completely rebooted my career. I'd, um, I'd, uh, I needed to do so many different things that it was overwhelming and I was scared. And I, at every point I was like, am I crazy? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, my, um, my, my, my father asked me, have you, have you joined a cult? (laughs) No. I was like, well, you've left your wife, you left your job and you're spending all this time on self-improvement classes. Have you joined a cult? And I said, no. Uh, He said, why are you having a midlife crisis? I'm like, maybe, maybe. So like, it was this undirected kind of crazy. Now, now what I know, um, that I spend the, the, the time. And, and I think spending is almost the wrong, wrong verb there. That my time is best when I have my sleep, my exercise, my eating, my, my, my mindfulness and meditation dialed in. Because then I am limitless. I do not have anything that is holding me back. I have the complete authority and ability to do anything I want. For many of the people that I've worked with and I've spoken to and have been inspired by and gratefully inspired by my words or by what I've written, it has meant that the time that they've spent on themselves have meant that they can evolve the areas in their lives that they want to change effortlessly. And you're not, not everybody's going to be like, okay, Dave, I'm not going to like completely re-career and punch out of everything and leave my, my spouse and, and, uh, you know, uh, run off to a different country, but you could, 
<laughs> now, actually, for a lot of people, it's just been like, okay, um, I want to improve the relationship with my significant other, evolve it because now you are spending less time with kids and now really wanting to define what the second half of life is with your spouse. What is retirement going to be like with your spouse? Um, or, uh, you know, uh, the, the spouse or the career for, um, uh, it, it may not be, hey, I'm up and out of my career, but is your career supporting you. I, if your career is not supporting a great sex life, then you are in danger of losing both. And that is my point. So where can people find you? <laughs> oh, thank you, Brock. Um, well, they can, they can find me online. Uh, my, my website is limitless and it's spelled a funky fun way. It's L-I-M-I-T-L dot es so it's the word limitless without the last s and if you have trouble with that all you have to do is type in davidcc.com and it'll just redirect you excellent and okay so you mentioned the book does it have a title and when's it coming out it is uh, slated for this year our working title is midlife magic all right so slated for this year august in time for christmas the, you know, I don't know the reason why I, I believe what I'm told is that because of the noise of the election and that it's a big round year, you know, like it's 2020, right? Mm. There's a lot of anniversary things, you know, like the 10th anniversary, the 20th anniversary, the 100th anniversary, right? So between these kind of two things, they're creating a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, sort of, uh, <laughs> a lot of, it's stealing a lot of people's attention. So I don't have complete control over when it's coming out. A number of my, my author friends are being pushed into 2021. So I'm just optimistically putting out to the universe that it'll be available this year. You can go to my website and pre-order. So right. feel free to pre-order and I will, uh, I will personally thank every single person that pre-orders. I promise. Well, uh, and you may have just answered this, but my last question for you, Dave, here as we wrap up is, how can the listener help you? What, what would your ask be of them? Mm. My world is, is uh, really about um, speaking um, and, and I'm, I, I fly all over, uh, all over to speak. So if anyone in, uh, that's listening to you uh, thinks that they... Um, that there is a platform that they uh, would like to see me at or be there with, please reach out. I'm always looking for opportunities to just get in front of people and just speak. So speaking opportunities. But the number one thing that people can do for me is really uh, turn this um, turn this moment, this time in on yourself and say, okay, what are the changes that you want to do today or soon. Uh, and, and that, and then just reaching out, send me an email. My, my email is Dave at limitless or connect with me on Instagram. Uh, it's a David C Conley all run together. You can go to the website and find a link there. Just connect and send me a message and I'll answer. I answer every single one personally. Uh, to say, hey, thank you, and and this is the change that I'm I'm making. So just that human connection, being able to connect with more people, that is what people can do for me. Well, Dave, it's been fantastic having you on. I, I love this conversation because, yes, it's focused on midlife and defining and redefining who we are, what we want to do, but 
you know, that applies to really anyone from age 20 on up through, well, still yes. breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, because we're, we all have to plan for where we're going and where we want to be and, yeah. and what decisions are taking us there. So really appreciate having you on today and your time with us. Thank you so much, Dave.